Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Um, definitely my privilege to share uh, with you this morning. Just, just really encouraged by, uh, just even before we begin, just by Jen and um, her story of, of waiting for God. And um, just even as she goes, uh, just the thought that kept kind of running through my head was that God is working in a place of, of conflict, of death, and is bringing life. And so I yeah, I just am really encouraged by, by her story. Uh, but if you could uh, turn with me to, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, it's verses 21 uh, to 43. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. And, uh, okay, there we go. And I'll uh, read that for us. And when Jesus had crossed again, in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them, and went in where the little child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, 
little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told to give her something to eat. So I uh, just really wanted to share this story with you, uh, this passage. And I'd like to actually begin with another story. Um, I really love stories, and I feel like there's so much nuance to them. So this is actually a story, um, a more recent story, about a woman named Angela Yan. And I don't know if we can... Uh, there we go. So she's in the middle of this picture. Uh, some of you may actually heard about the story. Her son right there on the left, is his name is Christopher. And I heard the story about seven years ago, and they were sharing their testimony at this, at this conference I was going to. So the, the story begins in the suburbs of Chicago, actually, uh, not, not too far from here. They were uh, basically a typical Chinese-American family. Uh, Angela and her husband immigrated here to the U.S., right, and settled in the suburbs. And uh, he you know, was a dentist, and so he worked as a dentist uh, here in Chicago. And they raised two boys, one of them, Christopher. And eventually, you know, with Chinese families, you always want a doctor in the family. So uh, they, you know, eventually he kind of gave in and decided to become a dentist, right? So he went to uh, dentistry school. So, you know, being Chinese parents, they were thrilled that their son, right, is following after the father's footsteps. But quickly their their happiness faded uh, when Christopher told them that he was gay. And Angela, in particular, his mom, was, was devastated. So after Christopher came out, you know, he began living this increasingly promiscuous life. Um, not only was he just kind of sleeping around, um, in his testimony he was very honest about that, like he also started experimenting with drugs, uh, just the crowd that he was hanging out with. And eventually he began selling, selling drugs. Uh, meanwhile, actually, his mom, Angela, started searching for God. And so after Angela became Christian, she started praying for her son. And even as she watched his life kind of spiral, spiral out of control, Christopher was expelled from dentistry school. He was, went to jail, was in prison for dealing drugs. And he actually later found out that he was HIV positive. And so all through this, you know, she was sharing as she was praying for her son that she would go to this, you know, small room and just write out her prayers on this, on this little small sheet of paper. And it was like just this roll, kind of almost like you get, you know, with the receipt thing. And uh, as she was sharing, she, she showed that over the many, many years that she prayed for her son, that she just filled this paper up and it was like 20 feet long. It was like crazy. Like, I mean, she just rolled it all out and just showed how long it was. But, you know, like, she was really honest, too. She, there were times where she wanted to give up. She just wanted to just, you know, say, well, her, her son is lost to her. And uh, she just felt like there was no, no hope. But she kept trusting in God and kept praying. And eventually, Christopher's heart was changed. He started reading the Bible in prison. And when he started studying the Bible, Christopher realized, you know, that he put his identity in the wrong thing. He put his identity in the wrong thing, which was his sexuality. And God called him that his main identity was in Christ alone. Right? And God compelled him 
and just convicted to live his life for Christ. And he, his obedience led to a radically changed life. Eventually, he goes to, he goes to Moody, um, you know, gets a master's. And, you know, now he's going around sharing his, his testimony about, about what God has done in his life. There's even a, a book, uh, if you're ever interested. But you can, you can ask me afterwards about that. You know, so I think, I think all of us, you know, like these stories. You know, we're, you know I remember just being very touched when first listening to Angela's story. But, I mean, if, if we're honest with ourselves, I think it's hard for us to see us do the same thing. We, we kind of think it's for those who have this tremendous faith, right? Angela kept believing when, uh, when everything around her was telling her otherwise, right? When everything else is telling that there was hopeless. And we, we look up to them, and we wish we could be them. In, in fact, actually, if we look at it another way, like, for people who keep believing something even when everything else around them is, is long ago given up on them, it seems even if, we're, if we actually look at it, it's a little, a little bit even crazy, right? Just a, just a little bit crazy. Like everything is telling you this isn't going to work and you keep going. So, you know, just, you know, Pastor Jared mentioned I, I work at Walgreens. We, we sometimes joke sarcastically on the same lines. You know, when, when our process at work keeps failing and our leadership keeps telling us to do the same thing, we say, isn't the definition of insanity the same thing, doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome, right? So here's a uh, motivational poster. This is, per, you know, this, you can't really see it, but there's a big tornado right there, and there's a little s- small car. It's like perseverance, the courage to ignore the obvious wisdom of turning back. And I'm on a project right now, it's, it's a big tornado like that, and it's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so, you know, sometimes everything is telling us the most rational thing is to turn back, is, is to give up, right? So I guess the question is, what do we do then? What, what do we have to turn to when there are no options left? And as I was thinking about sharing with you guys what, what to share. Um, I couldn't help but think that there are many of you today that are in a situation similar to this, similar to the, to the woman in the passage to Jarish. You know, I know that some of you have family members going through major health issues, right? Some of you are going through health issues yourselves, and even some of you have lost loved ones recently. And I think in times like this, there is a, a myriad of emotions that you can go through. You know, there's fear about what our loved ones will happen next if they're sick. You know, we, we're wondering if it's going to get worse before it gets better. Or maybe there's this numbness about the suffering that you're going through. This, you've been, you know, not well, you've been ill, you've been hurting for a long, long time, and you're just numb. You just, just you know, every day it's the same pain. Every day you get up and... You know, you just know it's going to be the same, right? And then we just bear with it and live with it. Or maybe there's just grief that you lost a loved one. And, you know, even though you know that they're in a better place with the Lord, you're just, there's just grief. So what do we do when there are no options left on the table? What do we do when our hope has left us?
Jesus tells us, do not fear, only believe. He tells us in this passage that we can still believe in him despite the hopeless situation we find ourselves in. And so I want us to take a look in this passage and see why faith in Jesus is not insanity. So as we read through this passage, there are two stories here, right? The first story starts off with Jairus. And, you know, he goes, uh, you know, Jesus crosses to the other side of the lake, and he meets this synagogue ruler, Jairus, right? And this guy is in a desperate situation. His daughter is at the point of death. She's very, very sick. And, you know, Jairus comes and falls at Jesus' feet and asks him to heal her. Lay your hands on her and heal her that she may be well, right? And as they go, you know, Jesus goes with them. And as they go, interrupted in this story is another story. This is a story about this woman, right? And she has been bleeding for 12 years. And so here, you know, Jesus is then dealing with this story about this bleeding woman and, and dealing with her. And then after that, then he comes back to Jairus' story. And so here Mark purposely puts this bleeding woman's story in the middle between Jairus' story so that this woman's story, this bleeding woman's story, will help us understand the overall story of Jairus and what that's about. And so I'd first like to first talk about this woman's story and then talk about Jairus' story. So let's read her story again. It starts in verse 24b, and it reads... And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and found down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And we first notice her situation. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And if that's not bad enough, you know, she's suffered because of her condition. And she's also seen many doctors. And in doing so, she's spent all she had. And despite all of this, she is no better but worse. You know, I can't help but think, like, even in today's terms, this would be pretty bad, right? Like, she, she's tried everything. She's, she's tried all the doctors. You know, she's maxed out her health insurance, but, right, nothing. She's gotten worse. And what's even worse back then is that she would have been ostracized from society. You know, here in the Old Testament, there's, there's these ceremonial laws that tell her that she would have been unclean for seven days, and after she had her period. But if she had this problem, she would have been unclean as long as she had that problem. And that would have been 12 years for her. To make matters worse, anyone that came in contact with her, anyone that touched her would have been unclean too, at least to the end of the day. 
And so she was probably alone and couldn't be part of everyday normal life. You know, I, I, I think it's amazing that, you know, today we have, you know, modern medicine, right? And there's just so much that we expect out of it. So, you know, I got really sick a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, I, I tried to just, like, kind of tough it out. Um, I don't know why. I, I, get, I get sick a lot, so I was like, as some of you may know. So I figured, you know what, I need to just build my immune system a little bit and just, like, kind of, man, just, just tough it out. So, you know, almost two weeks into it, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm done. I can't, I can't, I can't uh, keep going like this. So I gave in. I went to see the doctor. And then, you know, the doctor, obviously, you go to the doctor and he would prescribe antibiotics. And here are some, you know, just a, a, a plug for Walgreens. You know, these are Wal- <laughs> Walgreens prescriptions, uh, bottles. I actually worked on that label, so that's, that's good stuff. But, uh, but anyways, but, you know, it's, it's just so interesting. Like, I, I was sick for two weeks. I was just frustrated. I was tired. I couldn't sleep at night. I go to the doctor, and I fully expect that this medication, this, this antibiotics, is going to heal me. And, you know, and here today, I'm, I'm fully better. I don't have a cough anymore, and it, it worked. I, I, it's totally, I just knew that if I went, I'd get some drugs, and boom, I'm healed. Right? But I can't imagine for somebody who has to go doctor after doctor after doctor, and they just, they're not getting better. They get prescribed medication, they could prescribe different therapies. They could go to all sorts of things, like, you know, they could even try, like, acupuncture or whatever, and they just don't get better. And I can't imagine what that would be like for someone in that situation. But even if you are, all I have to say is that you are not alone and that there is hope. Right? You see this woman, right? She... She's going through the situation. And she could just be, I mean, I'm sure she went through bitterness, disappointment, anger. I mean, 12 years. 12 years she went through this situation. But then she hears this report about Jesus. And she decides to go. And, you know, and as she goes, you know, she, it's, it's, it seems like a blind hope, right? And, and I mean, she's ostracized. She even goes and she just comes behind Jesus. She's not even wanting to see Jesus. She just wants to touch his garment, right? But she went because she believed that Jesus could heal her. She believed that Jesus could heal her. And so, even as Christians, I I feel like, really, it's it's very simple. Our faith is really boiled down to just a, a single question. Who do we believe Jesus is? Who do we believe Jesus is? You know, if Jesus is a good moral teacher, then great. You know, we can learn how to manage our anger, raise great families, right? Be a good coworker, be a moral person, right? If he is a moral teacher, then yeah, that we can learn all those things. If Jesus is an important religious person, then great. We can go to church, we can sing songs, we can learn about him, right, in the Bible, right? These are all good things. Right? But if Jesus is God, if Jesus is God, we are faced with a dilemma. Either we submit to this truth, and our whole world has changed. He is in control of everything, and nothing is impossible for him. 
or we don't. We don't submit to that truth. And the world works as we believe it does. And it's just a little bit more religious. You know, because we come to church. Right? And why else do we go to church? So who do we believe Jesus is? And I want us, as we think about this question, I want to point out one more thing. After she's immediately healed, Jesus notices that the power leaves him, right? He notices, he immediately turns around and asks, who touched me? Which is a you know, pretty crazy question if you think about it because there's this huge crowd surrounding him and they're all, all touching him, right? But he, he goes around and who touches him? His disciples even think he's crazy, Right? He's, they say so much to him. He's like, you know, what, what's going on here? Why do you say this? There's, there's this whole crowd pressing around you. But Jesus keeps looking for who touched him. And then the woman, you know, she's, she's just, she knows what's happened. She feels like, okay, you know, he's not going to stop looking. So she, she comes forward in fear and trembling, you know, and kneels before him. And Jesus tells her, you know, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And why did Jesus do this? I think more than just healing of disease, Jesus wanted her to know that he knows her personally, that she's not alone. You know, she came, she wanted to be anonymous. She wanted to sneak into the back and, and sit in that back row back there. <laughs> no, no, no judgment for the people back there. <laughs> But she wanted to be anonymous. She just wanted to come and just touch his, his, his cloak. That's it, his garments. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with that. And this too is who Jesus is. He's not content in just fixing our problems. He wants us to know that we are not alone and that he is with us. Right, this woman, she just believed and went. But now, and she believed that Jesus could heal her, but now she leaves not just with the belief that Jesus can heal her, but that Jesus knows her and is with her. And Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us. We are not alone in our suffering. I think the lie that is most devastating when we are going through suffering, especially this long-term suffering, this 12 years or how many years we've been suffering, is the lie that we're alone in our suffering, that nobody understands how we feel, that nobody gets it. Nobody can feel the pain that we feel or all the trouble that we go through. But that's a lie. That is a lie. Jesus understands what we're going through. He was human, so he understands very well what it means to be a human, weak human being like us. But he is also God, so he knows everything. So don't let our bitterness and frustration keep us from this truth. Don't let the hopelessness of your situation keep you in a place where you believe that God can't do anything because God can and he knows us. God will do something. He knows every aspect of our situation. He knows how everything will turn out. He knows you. So moving on from the bleeding woman's story, we come to Jairus' story. And we see in verse 35 that while he was still speaking, I mean, like literally just this, this episode with this woman just finishes. And, you know, these people come from Jairus' household. And they go to, you know, tell Jairus, look, 
you know, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus any longer. Right? And I want this to kind of sink in, right? His daughter is dead. I just feel that sometimes, you know, when we read Scripture, sometimes we, we kind of gloss over the, uh, the painful details, but, I mean, she's dead. And, you know, like, I guess what's hard is, like, here at the beginning, Jairus, you know, he comes and he, uh, he looks for Jesus. And I'm sure back then, you know, there was no cell phones or GPS. There's no, like, you couldn't look up on the Internet to see what Jesus' schedule was to see where, where he's going to be at. Right, I'm sure it, it, it was hard to find find Jesus. I mean, I'm sure he was famous, but you know, Jesus sometimes decides to go here, to go there. You don't know where he's coming sometimes. But Jairus finds him because his daughter is sick. And he, he's hoping that Jesus will heal her. But it's too late. <sighs> Sorry. Sometimes it's, it's just, uh, yeah. And there's this, there's this finality of this situation that's, that's just so painful. You know, just, just thinking about people who have, who have lost uh, children. I can't, I can't imagine what that would be like. And what's crazy is that here, even in the midst of this, when, when Jairus' daughter is dead, and I can't think of what Jairus is, is going through, Jesus comes to him and tells him directly, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. In Jesus' eyes, Jar's situation wasn't final. Even though his daughter was dead, that was not the end. He simply asked Jairus to believe him. And in such a simple request, Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it, he's asking, it seems like he's asking for the impossible. He's asking Jairus to believe that even in death, there is still hope. And this is where the story of the bleeding woman meets Jairus' story. Mark is showing us that the faith that the bleeding woman had in Jesus is the same faith that Jesus is asking Jairus to have. Even though their situation is completely different, the same choice is given to both of them. They can choose to believe in Jesus or they can choose not to. I think when we think about faith, a lot of times we think about that there's, there's great faith or there's faith as small as a mustard seed. You know, or God is deepening our faith. And the Bible does talk in these terms, right? There, that is true. But here in Mark, here in this story, Faith is being described more as a decision. This bleeding woman heard the reports about Jesus and decided to touch him. Jairus, faced with his daughter's death, can decide to either continue and have Jesus see his daughter or not trouble Jesus any further. They were both faced with a choice. And in the bleeding woman's case, she didn't even have the same religious background Jairus did. Right? Jairus was a synagogue ruler. Right? He, he was in charge of the synagogue. Even though he was a layperson, he, he brought everyone together. He scheduled things out. 
He read scripture, right? He was probably well-versed in Old Testament scripture. But in verse 27, Mark says, the bleeding woman heard the reports about Jesus, and she still went. I mean, this woman is not even named. She's not even named. And yet both are given the same choice. They can either choose to believe in Jesus or they can choose not to. So no matter where, who we are, where we're from, you know, or how religious we are, we're given the same choice. We can either choose to believe in Jesus or choose not to. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been attending harvest. Or it doesn't matter how long you've been Christian. And when we're faced with life's toughest challenges, we are given that same choice. And so I leave you with this last question. Do you choose to believe in Jesus? Do you choose to believe in Jesus? In both of these stories, there's a happy ending. Right? The bleeding woman is healed of her disease, and Jairus' daughter is brought back to life. But I'm here to say that choosing to believe in Jesus doesn't always, you will not always get what you want. Jesus himself will later die at a cross as a criminal, you know, who proclaimed himself as king of the Jews. Even later, his disciples, most of them will be martyred for their faith. You know, Jesus tells us those who believe in him will have to carry our cross and follow him. To, you know, believe in Jesus does not give you an automatic prosperous life. But it is life. And for everyone who loses their life for Jesus will find it. I mean, this may sound counterintuitive, but everyone who believes in Jesus will find life in him and find it to the full. So one of my wife's friends recently shared with her this poem. Um, I think it's from a Confederate soldier, a named Confederate soldier, that really just explains this really well. And so I just want to share this with you and end with this. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.